believe being transparent about life struggles and sharing solutions and resources is the only way to bring us together as a community and as a country. Good afternoon, good evening. Um, welcome to our blog talk this week. I am Nicole Jennings Goodman. I'm here with my co-host Etienne Gibbs. Um, Etienne, are you there? Etienne, yes, you ma'am, there? I'm here, live and in person. Yes, ma'am. Here I am on the other <laughs> side of the world. Oh. On the other side of the world, it is 6 p, 7 p.m. In his end of the world, it's 1 p.m. here. Um, and welcome to our four-episode series to educate and empower. Um, this week, we are talking about black history, black culture, um, and it's just in, in today's time, it, it really is a time definitely to talk about what's going on. And we have a guest speaker that will be coming on in a few minutes, Miss uh, Elizabeth Leba. And as soon as she pops in, we'll we'll, we'll bring her in. But today's uh, the climate in uh, our black culture today. Uh, Etienne, please chime in on that. Oh, <laughs> the situation today! Oh my goodness. <laughs> I think we've yeah. educated in so many ways through the through the White House. I am <laughs> very picky about how to choose my words because <laughs> number forty five really gave us an education <laughs> that we never never knew experience in real world. Not only that, but then as as American citizens have, who have the right to protest, they were treated as if there were invasions policies or invasion groups or invasions, in, you name it, the cops treated them as if they were taking over the country. And that's not the mm-hmm. truth. But we really need to look at how we... Black people need to support each self, support each other, support ourselves, support one another, rather than mm-hmm. fight off, get in a fight all the time. So that's 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 I, my two cents for right now. I definitely agree. I um I actually started an initiative, followblackdollars.org, dot uh, org, two and a half years mm-hmm. ago or so. And um, in an effort to help turn inwards the $1.3 trillion that uh, the black community spends on a yearly basis. And uh, you can find out more about that at followblackdollars.org for our listeners and folks that are watching us live on uh, Facebook Live. And if you want to keep in touch with that initiative and what's going on, you can text FBD or for Follow Black Dollars to the short code 63975. Um, FBD to 63975 uh, to keep in touch. And we have a lot of information on black culture, 
um, and what we're doing in the black community, a, an entire list of black-owned banks. Um, just so there's just a lot of great information, links to certain black-owned businesses that are participating in the Follow Black Dollars movement. Um, and, you know, if you want to help support that movement, even if you're not a business owner, you can log on to the website and order a red stamper. And so what we've been doing is stamping U.S. bills of all denominations with the red stamp. This is all black dollars. And just like the, if you guys are all familiar with the, with the wheresgeorge.com, program that's been circulating for about 30 years now. It was a red stamp on the uh, U.S. $1 bill. Do you remember that, Etienne? It doesn't It doesn't ring a bell right now. Probably, okay. I've seen it probably, but not that often, not that often. Okay. Well, it, is, uh, it's an, it was an initiative that's going around to kind of track where the $1 bills are going. And so if you come across a $1 bill that has the red stamp on it, you go to wheresgeorge.com and you enter in the serial number of that bill and you can see everywhere that it's been in perpetuity. So that's the whole concept behind Follow Black Dollars. Yeah, behind Follow Black yeah. Dollars where you'll actually be able to uh, stamp any all denominations with the red stamp. And if you come across a bill that has the red stamp on it that says follow back dollars, it entitles the bearer to a 10% or more discount off of their purchase of $10 or more at a participating black-owned business. Um, oh. Hold on a second. I think we got our caller coming in. Give me one sec. Yeah, caller and uh, they're just kind of talking in the background. I think I'm not sure if I was uh, butt dialed or, or if that's our guest, but we are uh, featuring Miss Elizabeth Leba uh, this week in our blog talk to educate and empower, and empower on Black history and Black culture. Uh, Miss Elizabeth Leba is a social justice warrior and she's a college professor. She was actually named LinkedIn's top voice in education, and she's also the co-host of the Ed Up uh, Experience podcast at edupexperience.com. She's a published writer, just phenomenal. I just actually published my first book last year, and it's been a roller coaster ride. But this young lady, uh, her most recent writing includes an op-ed piece on racial profiling for CNN and it had over 2 million views on their news website. So I'm really excited to get her on. I'm going to um, just you know, put you on hold for a little second. I'm going to play the music and check with this caller to see if this is our caller coming in, okay? Okay.
Okay, we have Miss uh, Miss Leba on the line. Let's see if I can hear her now. Liz, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Awesome, awesome. I was just awesome. blowing up all your accolades. <laughs> and uh, I heard I you. you I felt I felt so <laughs> proud when I heard that. I was like, wow, is that me? Yes, yes. Guess what else you did? You had a recent feature in New York Times article on social justice um, advocacy, and that prompted you to found the Black History Culture Academy. Did you know that? Girl, you are awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. So how are you today, ma'am? And welcome to the show. I am doing phenomenal. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So tell me about you. What's your background? Tell us about you. Well, I am a 20-year veteran in higher education. I have been a faculty member, actually, in higher ed over the course of over a decade. I've worked in uh, colleges and universities um, in South Florida as well as uh, have taught online. So I've taught for a variety of schools across the country as well. And um, for the past year, I've been very active on social media, particularly on LinkedIn, because after the murder of George Floyd, you know, as a teacher and uh, college professor, I tell my students, see something, say something, be an advocate, be a voice. I teach writing. So I'm always thinking about how people can use their voices and their stories effectively. And Mm -hmm. I just felt compelled to join the discussions about, social justice, inequity, racial disparities in uh, treatment across the country of black folk in America. I had just recently at that time started my own podcast, like you said, Ed Up Experience, where we interview higher ed leaders across the country. We've interviewed about 50 college presidents, including just past week we interviewed the president of Spelman College. So we've been very active in talking about education, higher education particularly, and some of the inequity and things that we need to do better. But I Mm -hmm. felt as though I needed to be especially vocal about the plight of black people in America. And uh, that was where the article came in from the New York Times. Uh, One of the Times writers uh, reached out to me about my advocacy Mm -hmm. on LinkedIn and being really prolific in posting about social justice on LinkedIn. And I was featured in an article about uh, black LinkedIn, the the concept of black folk actually being really very much more um, advocates and being more vocal on LinkedIn about these issues. Now, within last uh, October and then in November, I had an article or an op-ed piece that was published by CNN about my own experience being racially profiled when I was a teenager, which nobody knew about. I had posted about it on LinkedIn. I was really actually very ashamed of that, and uh, it was something that I kind of wanted to post only because I felt as though it's very important that people understand that when we, we just recently had the yeah. uh, the anniversary of the death of Trayvon Martin, that it isn't just young black boys, which obviously I'm a, a mother of a, of a boy, so I know that I'm very sensitive and very aware of our young black boys and how much they are profiled, but I wanted to also show that it is of no respect. It isn't that you have to be 6'5 and 200 pounds. Like I was like five, barely five feet tall and 100 pounds, and I was arrested, falsely arrested, and had to fight to get my name cleared in my situation of wow. being accused of shoplifting a $2.49 pack of batteries, went to jail, 
produce the receipt after the fact um, that I had with me the whole time, which I wasn't given the proper um, opportunity to, to produce, and um, had to sue the company just to get them to admit that what they did was wrong. And I wanted to share that story and make people aware of just some of the issues that our young children are facing and that I face and I still see and we all still see in the news on a daily basis, all these hashtags. It could have been so much different for me. And I wanted to make sure that people were aware of that and that's really where my social justice advocacy really probably started for me understanding that if something's wrong, I'm not going to just sit down and let it happen. And Black History Culture Academy was another natural um I guess, instinct to make sure that people understand the, the history of black people in America, what black people have overcome and celebrate our accomplishments, but also to understand the struggle and make sure it's put in proper context when we're looking at what we're overcoming today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thoroughly agree. I mean, we just, even though we just dealt with 45, which was, you know, mentioned, but we also just had a black president. Now we have a black woman vice president which is evidence of how far we've come, but we still have so much further to go um, because, yeah, while the affluent um, may be experiencing some relief from the social injustice, those of us, you know, middle class and below are still, you know, scared and still dealing with situations. Um, me being a retired civil servant, I wore a police uniform for over a decade, and I was long since retired when I got married. My husband has since passed away, but um, we were married for almost five years. And um, thank you. Um, just after the George Floyd uh, murder, we were discussing that, and I went into my closet and I put on my old uniform. And his back was turned when I walked back into the room. And when he turned around, the color drained from his face. Now, he was 6'2", chocolate-covered, you know, had dealt with police all of his life and, you know, had that innate fear. And even though it was his wife standing there in uniform, his initial reaction was fear for his life. And that broke my heart. That absolutely broke my heart, you know. Uh, having served in my community and in my city for, you know, for a lot of years. When people call 911 and I show up, I expect them to feel relieved that help is there, not fear for their life. And that climate has definitely changed in, you know, in light of all that's going on. So I certainly, we certainly appreciate what it is that you're doing. Thank you so much. And I think what you're saying is... Mm -hmm. Well, let me go ahead and say welcome to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm Etienne. Etienne Gibbs, how are you? Thank you. Well, I'm I'm doing amazing, and thank you so much. I appreciate you. Very well. We've been tracking you down, really, girl. You have educated <laughs> the world. You're educating thank you. the city. You're educating all over the place, and there's still more to go. And I want to talk to you about that, but let's go ahead and watch the what? Oh, my mind went blank for me. <laughs> what they call me to say? Yeah, it went blank for me. I got so excited about it. So many things I want to tell you. Nicole, go ahead, do what you're doing, and I'll come back. I'll come back. But I, I think what you said, Nicole, it makes a lot of sense. I think I had a conversation with one of my buddies, um, one of my social justice warrior buddies on LinkedIn, and I said, for me, I suffer with adult onset epilepsy. 
And one of my fears is always if I have an epileptic seizure and I'm at home, my husband, you know, he works nights. And one of the things he said, well, if anything ever happened, we have like cameras in the house. And he was like, I would just call 911 and they, I would give them permission to bust the door down. And I was talking to one of my, my friends and I'm like, but, you know, just the fear of that alone, you know, the idea of us as black folk in America, like you said, it's almost like you get, you know, you, you're in your car and you see the police pull up to the side of you, you don't feel safer. You actually feel afraid. And I think it's just because of what we see in the news. It's, it's this trauma. If you're constantly seeing police interacting and it's not community policing, I think when people hear we defund the police, they think, oh, you guys just don't want police. You just want to commit crime. No, we want community policing. We want police that know our names that are in our neighborhoods and they're not just their profiling or they're not they're stopping frisking or we don't feel as though when we see them we're going to get into some kind of negative interaction and i think that's a part of the fear and a part of you know with trayvon martin's um the anniversary of his death that just passed um yesterday there is this fear of will i be the next victim and there is this fear of our police really you know, are they out there? And obviously we know the police do a really hard job. And I think sometimes people feel like, oh, you're saying all police are bad. Absolutely not. But we want the ones yeah. that are out there that are doing their job to, to be respectful of um, black and, and, and brown communities when they're policing in those communities, not to profile, not to, you know, statistically speaking, black people are pulled over more, are searched more, are arrested more, get uh, sentenced harsher. There's just so much inequity, and I think if we don't put these things on the table and talk about them, then we can't change them. It's not really a matter of anyone thinking that police are inherently bad, but neither are our mm-hmm. black boys. They're not inherently bad, and I think that's a part of these conversations, which I'm so glad you're having this conversation because we just need to make sure that we're being very transparent in what we're asking for so that we can make police departments, cities, counties, states, everybody needs to be accountable for what's happening, and if we don't yeah. talk about it, then accountability will never be. Exactly. Etienne, you have, you know, um, as, a, as an elderly gentleman in your 70s, you've been through a lot of different phases of our culture, you know, in the last 70 plus years. Do you feel like we've really come that far? Or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? On exactly, you know, how we are from right. between where you started and where we are now? First of all, I was... I, was ben- I benefited because I wasn't exposed to police. Let me put it that way. I've never had mm. that experience. I grew up in the Virgin Islands. I went through the Air Force twice. I did have a little bit of uh, discrimination in, in, in New Orleans, of least places that I expected to have, but I didn't have any mm-hmm. police in- encounter. But as I am now back in the Virgin Islands, we don't have that either. Thank God. Mm. So I really can't tell you the experience. I, I look at the YouTube news report, reports, and I say to myself, if I ever go back to the United States, what's going to happen? I went to college in right. California, and even in California where I thought it was innocent, it's not innocent at all. So I don't right. know. I, 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 I am sheltered in one way. Because I'm sheltered, I make sure that I get all the education I can get, like you have tonight with Elizabeth. And I thank you, Elizabeth, for coming yeah. on tonight. You are oh, in a special so situation. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, um, again, you guys are listening to Blog Talk Radio, our uh, episode this week on black history and black culture. And uh, with your questions and comments at 516-387-1328, we have Ms. Lima, a social justice warrior. But I also wanted to, to mention that your Black History, uh, black history Culture Academy is a subscription-based e-learning platform that has over 20-plus courses. So for those of you out there that really want to know a little bit more about, you know, to get in-depth um, as to and how she's uh, a social warrior, a uh, social justice warrior for our community. Learn. If I did check out the website, I was available for everybody to get. So um, kudos to you on that, for real. So how did you become so active? I mean, you did tell part of your story, but, you know, a lot of us go through stuff and You're losing the power. And it needs to stop, and, and I'm going to shout from the rooftops about it. So what made you warrior for social justice? That's a really good question. I think literally the day that um, right before the George Floyd murder happened, it hit the news and the media, and a lot of people were talking about that murder, and I think Ahmaud Arbery had happened just right before that. And I was very, we we had just started sheltering in place and I was really triggered by everything that was going on, not being, having contact with the outside world, being at home and just feeling very displaced initially with the pandemic. I had made a conscious decision actually not to look at social media. Your, um, your voice is fading in and out. I'm not sure if it's my connection, um, uh, when she fades out, can you hear her? It fades out. It fades out. I've mentioned that. It fades okay. in and out. Are you okay. Are you able to hear me? I yes. can hear you yes, now. Yes, we can hear you. Yes. Right. Loud and clear, Elizabeth. I'm all, I, I went back and forth between my Wi-Fi connection and my 4G, so I feel like it's not me, but I'm not for sure. <laughs> It happens. I, I hear you fine, Etienne. The yeah. air is. Thank you. We're all doing visible. Technology is messing up. Um, so, what uh, what role uh, does Black History play in the fight for social justice in America? Do you feel? Like this is Black History Month. You know, it's just, it seems like it's the only time folks really pay attention to what it is that we're trying to do. And, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement so, gets muddled so much into, oh, all lives matter. But if all lives mattered, we wouldn't be screaming social injustice. So <laughs> how do you feel? Yeah. What role do you feel that plays in our fight? We, we have to know where we're going. Maya Angelou said it best. You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you came from. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that Carter G. Woodson 
the, the founder of Negro History, History Week, which actually evolved into Black History Month. The reason why he started this as a celebration was uh, because he wanted to make sure that we saved our stories, that we were able to create a, a, an accurate narrative of the history of black folk in America. And I think for a lot of us that are in this movement, we also know that uh, the history of black folk in America didn't start on American soil. So we have to be very inclusive and very mm-hmm. intentional about understanding the real history. And as an educator, I know that the entirety of the evolution of black folk and, and what black folk have undergone since uh, touching this soil in the year 1619 and even previously to that, um, black folk were here in America. It hasn't been told. It hasn't been told accurately. And then it's almost like you have slavery, civil rights movement, and today. And then people right. will say those are in the majority culture. Oh, well, there's a meritocracy. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Why are you complaining about inequity because everyone has the same opportunity? And we know blatantly that's not oh, true. Oh, that was 400 years legalized. ago. Why still talking about slavery? Right. Exactly. And there's a legalized mm-hmm. system that has been put in place, which is perpetuated. And it's just that when we say systemic racism, it's because institutionally you have every institution, literally, I don't think there is one that does not disparately marginalized black folk in America. So in order for us to change these systems or at least push for change, it's very difficult to to push for change if you're not in the room because people are just not thinking about you as a priority. And uh, I think Shirley right. Chisholm says this, if, you know, if you're not, if they don't give you a seat at the table, pull up a folding chair. But I always, to, and geez, that's my sorority. I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority, and, and I really admire everything that she did. But at the same time, if mm-hmm. they're locking the door and you can't even pull up a seat and you can't get your folding chair and pull it up to the table because they're not even letting you in the door, it makes it very difficult to do that. So we do have to push the envelope. We do have to make sure that our voices are heard at the table. We do have to make sure that the proper narratives are being told. Those narratives just have never been told. They've been hidden, and history has not been taught accurately. So Black History Month, for me, is 365 days a year, and that's why I started Black History Culture Academy. We can't be in a state mm-hmm. of denial. And I think where you see other countries around the globe, whether it be South Africa with, uh, with apartheid, whether it be Germany with um, everything that happened in terms of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, every society where they've marginalized or have committed genocide or have um, had all these atrocities, they've had to be forthright and admit what they've done, and they've had to make some kind of rep- reparation acknowledgement and, and promise to do better. And that really hasn't right. done, been done completely in America. And that's why I think we keep just raising our voices because we have to get to a point of reconciliation. You can't have reconciliation if you don't have an apology. That, that, doesn't, that literally doesn't make any logical sense. So we have to get that first moving forward, and then we can have some kind of meaningful change. Right. And then and it, it seems like we always get, or, you know, so I've heard in my history, um, well, that was 400 years ago. This is now. Oh, you know, why are you still on that? But we talk about 9-11, it's never forget. You know, you talk yeah. about some things that happened to, you know, the majority of folks that are not our color. Oh, it's never forget. You know, we want to remember our veterans, and we want to remember our fallen officers and firefighters. And, and don't get me wrong, I was a police officer, so I, I absolutely understand what those men and women ran into and, and sacrificed their lives for. Uh, however, as a, as a black community, we've been doing that for hundreds of years 
totally involuntarily. Everybody that wore a badge, they volunteered. You know what I'm saying? I, I went, I took that oath, and I signed up for that job, and I knew the inherent risk. And so when I was running, you know, towards the gunfire, I already knew that. I did that on my own. But this was not a voluntary situation that we wound up here and, and dealing with the situations that we did. So, no, it's not never forget. And, yes, it's black lives matter, not all lives matter. And, yes, we do need to uh, investigate things like the Black History Culture Academy and, and learn about our culture, not just from the boat ride, but from beyond, you know, where, where did we come from? You know, where our his, history. That's why I love your post so much, and I I, uh, I almost retweet every. I mean, I repost everything that you do. As plagiarism is not bad if you copy in the right cat. Your your posts and and discussions about Black history and Black successes are amazing, and that's how we met on LinkedIn. So. I, I, if I could, without this, I would hug you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And that support means a lot to me. After the CNN article I did get, I did over 100 emails, some of them supportive. You know, a lot of them were not. You know, people were name-calling. People mm-hmm. were telling me, go back to Africa. So many cool things, and I deal with those things on a daily basis. But I'm not deterred. Um, I would say um, bent but not broken, it does become sometimes it's a mental toll that takes place when you're constantly wanting to use your voice. I feel like my voice is my superpower. I've always been a writer. I've always been very outspoken. I've never been emboldened to this point, but I felt like when I saw George Floyd and I, and I saw everything, it's such a visceral reaction for me when I saw that, I had avoided it and avoided it, and then somehow one day, like not long after um, the protest start was when started was when I actually saw the video and I was like literally changed for the rest of my life. And I, I felt as though now I have to make sure that whatever I can do to keep pressing the, pushing the envelope on this issue, that I do that in any meaningful way that I can. And um, I appreciate you saying that because it means a lot to me. Awesome. Etienne, you are truly blessed <laughs> to have missed a lot of this action. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not for long, though. I'm going back one day. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to remind our callers and uh, the folks that are watching me on Facebook Live, give us a call in and ask um, Elizabeth Leva your questions or leave your comments at 516-387-1328. you got about another 25 minutes to call in with those questions and then um, – That'll be that for the show. Um, Liz, why did you start? Well, you kind of mentioned why you started the Academy, but really what gave you the uh, idea to put so many of those e-learning platforms together the way you did and make it um, so accessible for us? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think for me, uh, I, I, I wrote an article for LinkedIn um, News that was highlighted and one of the, the the focal points or the theme of that article was that black history saved my life. And I, I say that, mm. like, there's no exaggeration there. I grew up on the east side of Fort Lauderdale, and I'm not from here. I'm originally from the U.K., but I was raised here, so I'm like a Miami girl, Fort Lauderdale girl. And mm-hmm. I, it was a big culture shock for me coming from Europe. Um, obviously, there's racism everywhere. There's just discrimination everywhere. There's poverty everywhere. But I just felt... Here, when I came here to Fort Lauderdale, it was just 
so intense, that difference in the culture. And my school mm-hmm. was um, 90% black. Uh, my high school, um, under-resourced school, a lot of the children that um, attended that school were coming from, um, I actually looked up the stats the other day, and I think it was like 80-something percent of the students come from um, poverty, considered um, below poverty line. Majority of students, like 80-something percent, qualify for free lunch. I was in that number. And I think um, mm-hmm. one of the, the things that helped me to be the person that I am today was teachers, majority of them black, that came into the classroom and said, you're better than your, what you see around you. You can't overcome that you will go to college, you will be successful, you will live your dreams, you, you are your ancestors' dreams, and you are their legacy, and they would bring in um, miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. They brought in Autobiography of Malcolm X. They brought in Ancient um, Civilization of um, Origins of Civilization by Sheikh Antijap, J.A. Rogers, anyone that was an African historian, anyone that was, um, mm. you know, any any book, any resource that they could give us. <laughs> My teachers were coming in and wearing kente cloth. They were doing everything they could to show us just the amazing mm-hmm. power of our legacy. And I think that's something that is not really embraced, I think. On a national level, we don't have a curriculum for black history. We don't oh, have no. a mandate that black history be taught. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm, we I'm don't 49. have the ability to create that for our students, and that's problematic. Right. Yeah. I, I said I'm. I'm 49. I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I actually did live. My husband and I, my late husband and I, lived in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, in 2017 for almost a year. The hurricane sent us right back up north. <laughs> the, during hurricane season, um, we had we had traveled. We were living uh, just out of our truck, just traveling the country for a little while, and, and we stayed at a uh, trailer park there in And when they were threatening about the hurricanes, they were like, oh, we're hunkering down. It was like, you know what? Tell us about it on Facebook. We'll be in Cleveland. We don't do natural disasters. So, you know, I um, experienced the the area that you are, you know, that you're from, and being born and raised in Cleveland, I'm half white, so I was a light skinned, you know, light bright, damn near white, high yellow, all that, in a black neighborhood, and all of the schools that I went to in inner city Cleveland um, was just all the regular social studies and we learned about George Washington and all of that. My only knowledge until I was, you know, a lot older, uh, probably late teens, early 20s, about black culture was from the movie Roots. That was about, that was about mm-hmm. it. That was about all we got. And you knew mm-hmm. about Martin Luther King Day, um, but it was from one end of the spectrum to the other. There was no education uh, about nothing black history mm-hmm. in my years mm-hmm. of school, right, from 1976 until 91 when I came out of school, none, nowhere. So, and, you know, just Cleveland is majority black. So I... Yeah, you know, yes, there needs to be an update in curriculum. There there needs to be need to be some access. And I was just on your website again, um 
Elizabeth Lieber's website, blackhistoryculturacademy.com. Um, you can actually log on to it from our blog talk radio uh, show here. Your classes are unlimited for $14.99 a month. That is amazing. Thank you. That yeah, is one amazing. of my biggest concerns that was that um, a lot of people are going through struggle right now. People are getting laid off of work, and people are really, uh, obviously me, myself, even, you know, I'm, I have young children at home, and we're tightening our budget, mm-hmm. and I know that people – might want to learn about black history, but might not have disposable income to pay for courses and stuff like that. And I wanted to ensure that obviously it takes a lot of time and effort to develop the courses. I do course design for my main job. My my full-time job is a course designer. So I work for as an online course designer for a career college here in Fort Lauderdale. So I've been doing that for almost a decade. So I wanted to be able to develop courses, micro learning courses. So it's not like a, not like what I would develop for my job. For my job, I would develop like a, 12-week course or even a 16-week course, like a semester, like what you would take in college. I know that that's not doable Mm -hmm. for most people. And um, I have about 130 students that have signed up over the past six weeks or so. I I launched the the program, actually, the platform, on the day of the Capitol riot. So it was really weird. And I said, you know what, I'm going to – Wow. The courses like a couple the, the the most of the pricing for courses like if you look for micro learning courses like through your job or professional development, they use like hundred and ninety nine dollars, something like that. And that was initially what mm-hmm. my pricing was gonna be. And <clears throat> I had people reach out to me and say, you know, I really wanna take your courses, but you know, I had my car broke down or I just lost my job and hopefully I can save some money and put some money together and, you know, take a course. And I said, you know what I'm gonna do? that night I was wrapped up in a blanket in my bed. I was so traumatized by what I saw at the Capitol and I said, You know what? This material is too valuable. It was 20 courses, and I'm hoping to have by the summer 50 and 100 by the end of the year. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? Everyone knows about Hulu. Everybody knows about Netflix. I'm going to make this Netflix style so there's no friction. So money won't have to put together money or save up money. What I'm doing is obviously valuable, and I want to make sure that, you know, that's understood that, you know, you're getting a value-packed class, the same thing I would develop for my job in a college environment mm-hmm. what you would receive, but it's going to be com- condensed into the one of the senior editors at LinkedIn signed up, subscribed for the program. He was like, I did a lunch and learn. I sat down, drank my coffee, ate mm. a sandwich, and I learned about HBCUs. I didn't know anything about HBCUs. I was, he was like, I felt a little bit, you know, embarrassed. I didn't, so I jumped in, and I took a class on HBCUs, and now I understand HBCUs. So you can literally – Wow. You know, have unlimited access, and the longer that you're a member of the platform, the more value you'll get because I'm literally rolling out classes every few weeks. Classes are just going to keep coming um, on MLK's birthday. I said, you know what, I'm going to make this class about MLK and Dr. Martin Luther King and everything that he contributed and, and how there's a lot of mythology around who he was and his real beliefs versus what society teaches you he was about because I see that a lot. I see him weaponized. Like, well, Martin Luther King wouldn't have suggested or wouldn't have believed or wouldn't have recommended, and a lot of people don't really even know that Martin Luther King was actually, when he was shot, he was 75% of people hated him. They didn't like his policy. They didn't like what he was saying. He FBI said he was the most dangerous Negro in America. These are things that we need to tell. Mm-hmm. We need to tell the real story and not the mythology of what's in the textbook. Because a lot of times I'm an instructor, I'm an educator, and a lot of what in the text what is in the textbook is not accurate. It's just the, you know we can't always. I think sometimes we rely on the school system, and the school system is not infallible. Those are human beings it's that censored. are writing the textbook. 
And it is censored. It's censored. So that was really the whole purpose of saying Netflix style. I've had parents even, I had a, a lady in uh, New Zealand, and she said, my son is 11. He wants to be a social justice warrior. I just subscribed to your program because I want to be able to sit with him and go through the modules so he can be informed wow. so that he can feel more confident because he wants to be a social justice warrior. These are the stories that warm my heart because a family won't have to say, okay, we have to pick and choose which courses we can take, or I don't have $200 or even 100 or even $50 to put toward a class, but Fourteen ninety nine a month, I can put that together, and I can at least give access for my kids, for myself, for people in my family that we can sit together and learn so that we can have more knowledge about what's happening in our country. And I think historically, um, you know, as, as a country, we just haven't paid enough attention to what's happened so that we can be informed about the present, mm-hmm. and then we can make a better plan for the future. And that's really what history does. It gives you a proper narrative so you can frame your decision-making and you can frame your opinions. I don't think you can frame an opinion if you don't know what happened. Like it's just like you coming up to me today and saying, well, you know, I asked you a question and you're like, well, I don't know what happened before I stepped in the room. Like I, you, you can't just spring that question on me. Like, you know, if I'm like, well, who do you think is right? Me or my husband, Nicole, right. you, you tell us who's, and then you're like, well, I just walked in here. Like give me the context of what you guys are talking about. And then I can tell you. Right. It's really the same thing. It's like literally we're asking people, uh, those in the majority, even us black folk, we're, we're, you're asking people mm-hmm. to make decisions or have informed opinions about something, and they have no context. They're not able to – I can't teach you about DEI, what's the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, if I don't know historically why these groups right. have been marginalized. Like it almost makes it – it's like you're putting the, the, the cart before the horse for me. So I always mm-hmm. teach things from the perspective of let's get a proper narrative. If I can, if Nicole walks into the room, I'm not just going to ask her, well, pick who's right. And it's like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I just came here. So can you give me a little bit more to work with? And I think that's really what's happening. We're asking young people to go out into the world and vote. We're asking people that are in positions of power. I have people on LinkedIn that reach out to me and they're, they're, they're hiring managers. They're saying, I didn't know about redlining. And I'm like, how can you not know that redlining has typically marginalized black people where they can't get a mortgage, they can't, going to certain neighborhoods, they can't get, they can't, there's no mm-hmm. home ownership because literally up until present day, I worked in the mortgage industry and they specifically targeted black neighborhoods to sell subprime mortgages to. And it's a lot of people that that's just something that they're not aware of. And it's not anyone's fault. It just hasn't, that's, those stories have not been told. So oh, someone has the, to tell them in order estate, for us to understand them. Yeah, the real estate uh, fallout uh, between 2007-2010, that would, those subprime mortgages were purely targeted. As a matter of fact, I got my, yes. I had my real estate license at the time, and like the more I learned in the class, the more I realized what was going on in my neighborhood. So that education yes. mattered so much. Just I want to remind our callers, um, 516-387-1328, call in with your questions, uh, and definitely check out the website. You know, what I wanted to, re- to relate your blackhistoryculturacademy.com website is it, it is a disruptive system. Um, it's it's shaking up. That's really shaking. Just like Netflix came in and shook up the whole movie rental thing. We just go to Blockbuster and wind up paying thirty dollars for a tape we broke at home. But you can pay for this subscription to get all the movies you want. And it's yeah, it's a disruptive system. And you know, it's much like FollowBlackDollars.org, it's a disruptive system. And if we can, with our community support 
for both websites, we can put the norm out of business the same way Netflix did blockbusters. It's funny that you referred to to it like Netflix. Uh, The same thing with Ubers. It's a disruptive system, and that's why I appreciate the way you put this together so well. And and I'm I'm browsing. The more I browse through this website, the more um, wonderfully impressed with it that I am, And, and I'm so proud that you and I got to connect on Facebook, I mean, on LinkedIn through your post. Uh, you are absolutely a warrior for what you do. I am so, I'm so excited to have you on the show. So um, what does the future look like for black history and social justice in America? I think so there is a movement now. <clears throat> I've been on a few panels where people are, you know, everyone has their own opinions, and I think a lot of people are saying black folk have always been speaking up. Black folk, people have always been vocal. This is not new, but I see a certain level of confidence, a certain level of not willingness to back down, a certain level of utilizing social media and other tools as a means of connecting with other people in the space that are being very vocal. And I think, you know, we've always had the ability to connect, right, and and, and create connections because Harriet Tubman didn't just do the Underground Railroad on her own. Like, they had the ability to mobilize the civil rights movement didn't happen in a vacuum. They had the ability to organize and obviously use their numbers effectively in that manner. But I think that the taboo and the uh, some of the, well, let's not say anything or we don't want to be targeted, I think a lot more people are stepping outside of that box. And I feel as though a lot of parents are realizing how important it is for their children. A lot of us that are in the corporate spaces or higher education spaces where typically it's been seen as a little bit like, oh, it's disruptive or it's divisive if you bring these things up. We're very confidently bringing them up because we know we're in the right. My hero, John Lewis, when I look at his mugshot, I always, as, as sad as I am that he's gone, it brings a smile to my face when I see his mugshot and he has a smirk on his face. And they ask him, well, why are you smiling mm-hmm. in, your, in, your, in your mugshot? And as, when he was older, he said, I was smiling because I knew I was on the right side of history. So he wasn't looking upset mm. his mugshot. He wasn't looking sad. He was smirking because he was just like, so what? You know, I'm arrested, and I'm arrested, and I'm going to keep getting arrested because he was arrested 40-plus times. He was hit over the head with a baton. Mm. He was relentless in his pursuit for justice and understanding that black folk in America, we have to champion ourselves. We have to marshal those that are willing to stand with us. If you're going to stand with us, you have to be by the side of us. You can't be way on the other side in the, in the bleachers. You have to get down on the field and you have to come and get dirty and play with us because there has to be a mobilization of our resources. That's why what you're doing as far as follow black dollars is what I'm doing as far as black history, culture, Academy, all these different movements, all these, um, abilities for us to mobilize as a people, we have to keep pushing Mm -hmm. the envelope. We have to keep pushing the importance of black culture, the importance of black community, black Wall Street and Rosewood. We've had communities. We've always come together. We've always been a people that I think the narrative is, oh, black black and black crime, black folks don't work together, don't spend with black people, crabs about. That's not true. We've always been together, but there is Mm -hmm. an unfair and unjust narrative that has been painted by the mainstream, by those in the majority culture, and we have to continue to push the envelope. We have to continue to amplify the importance of black history and culture. We have to continue to amplify the beauty of African culture and understanding that we are not just uh, orphans. We we do come from greatness. We come from great civilizations. We had kings and queens. We had advanced societies 
long before that ever happened anywhere else in the rest of the world. Africa is a cradle of civilization, and then that has not been taught to our young people. Mm-hmm. Our young people have taught you are a slave, and then there was the Martin Luther King, and then everything's great today. And that's just simply not right. accurate. So we have to make sure that we're teaching our children the right thing, and as parents, we have to do that as those that if we don't know ourselves. There's a lot of things I've learned over the past year that I didn't know. So we have to continue to educate ourselves, and Black mm-hmm. History Month is not just February. Black history is 365 days of the year. We have to keep learning about ourselves and continue to amplify that message. I thoroughly agree. Um, someone on my Facebook Live was asking, was uh, talking about getting blacks interested in hidden in the Hidden Color series. You can actually log on to followblackdollars.org, and at the links below are uh, about a, almost a dozen links that talk about hidden colors and the the connection of black history into different cultures like Japan and Hawaiians, that there is an entire uh, Japanese um, society that are black with kinky hair and slanted eyes, and they're speaking Japanese, but they's Negro, I tell you, and the uh, the it talks. It also shows about the history of the Hawaiians um, with and King Kamehameha with the uh, wide nose and thick lips and and kinky hair. And when they went to war, uh, they would send back to Africa for backup. So if you know if you really got into you know the the history and the culture of you know black history, we touched everywhere. Like there's um, societies that wouldn't that is obviously that they started in the cradle of life, as you call it. You know it's obvious that there's different um, Asian cultures that, that use the rings around their neck and that that. Um, different styles with their with the plates in their ears and stuff like that that can be traced all the way back to Africa. So it's really it's really I can't even I'm speechless <laughs> at how important it is to um, explore this history. Uh, we've got a little less than nine minutes for our callers. If you have any questions uh, with for Miss Leba or for Etienne or myself. Please give us a call at 516-387-1328, or you can tap your question into my Facebook Live. Um, is there anything that you wanted to jump in there with, ETM? I know we, me and Liz been going in. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kind of out of it tonight. My station is not kicking in properly, so go ahead, doing what you oh. do. Yeah, I appreciate. I, I know you've been kind of dealing with it, and Etienne is actually my mentor. Um, he reached out to me. He found uh, my book on LinkedIn as well, and and we connected that way. And and it's been mentoring me and setting up this podcast. As I was telling you, Liz, and I'm I'm still really kind of new at this. This is probably my fourth show in total, um, but LinkedIn has been very beneficial at pulling us together, too, which is, is uh, an awesome platform for us to get this information out. 
I think that people are really underrate or underestimate just how many connections and how many um, influential people are using LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great way to network, find a job, post a resume, but also it's just a great place to meet like-minded people. I think over the past year, LinkedIn has done more for me as far as my career, my ability to mobilize my voice as a social justice warrior and mm-hmm. just as an educator than any other means that I have had. And I've been in education for 20 years. So looking at the amount of different kinds of people I have met across LinkedIn, I've met CEOs of companies. i met Bracken Darrell, who's the CEO of Logitech. I've talked to college presidents. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people in the ed tech space. I've talked to people in corporate. It's given me the ability to just hear different people's perspectives, um, just bounce ideas off of people. Like you said, you can find a mentor. You can find someone that can maybe point you in the right direction if you're just looking for, well, how do I mobilize my voice in a more effective way? How do I start a podcast? Should I blog? Should I you know, is there some, honestly, the Black History Culture Academy, it was the idea of someone else I had been networking in, networking with in higher education. She's also an instructional designer like I am. And she was like, Liz, you're putting out so much content. Every day you're posting about black history. She's like, mm-hmm. you're a teacher. You build classes for for a living, and that's what you do. That's your lane. Why not create your own school where you give these courses and give people a chance to actually you can be their teacher because she's like, I would love to mm-hmm. learn from you. And that's literally what sparked the idea for Black History Culture Academy. I'm like, you know what? That's true. I'm a teacher. I do build courses. I love what I'm saying and doing and, and the ability to mobilize my voice on LinkedIn. Why not create, instead of worrying about, because a lot of people always go, well, suppose LinkedIn went out of business tomorrow. Like all that content you have would just be lost. Like that's the whole thing. Why not create somewhere to house these lessons, the content, everything that I'm giving and, and create it in a more meaningful way. People can earn a certificate. So it's not just like, oh, I read her post and now I know what redlining is, but I can actually go through a course in a structured way. I can get a badge. I can mm-hmm. um, get a certificate. People are, have been posting the certificates that they've been earning on the um, platform, on my platform, Black History Culture Academy, and saying, wow, I, I just finished a class in African-American history from beginning to emancipation. You know, this is kind of like my achievement. And, and it's, it feels good to see that people actually are able to gain this knowledge. It's not something they have to go pay for a college class. They don't have to set aside 16 weeks to go through a whole semester at the local community college. They can literally sit down in a few hours and understand, like, what is the struggle? What happened to black people in America from the time they stepped foot on the shore until they were actually emancipated? And why do why mm-hmm. is it something that is such a big deal? Like people are like, Well, what's the big deal with slavery? When you read some of the atrocities, some of the what everyone who went through that at that time had to overcome, I was telling somebody yesterday, I don't think I could have lasted a day. Our ancestors <laughs> it's almost it, 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 it's almost like it, it's doing them a disservice if we don't remember what they had to go through, if we don't pay homage to what uh, they had to go through, if we don't uplift and oh amplify. Oh, my God, they would have cut my lips off. I feel like they're speaking. <laughs> I feel like they're speaking to me. <laughs> they're you know, whenever I think about... <laughs> whenever I'm thinking about giving up, whenever I'm thinking, you know what, I'm getting tired of people calling me the N-word. I'm getting tired of people trolling <laughs> me on LinkedIn. I'm like, but you know what, I can't stop. That would be almost like a slap in the face to the ancestors because look at what they had to overcome, the rape, the lynch, the murder, everything yeah. that they being sold at the drop of a dime and never seeing your family again. I don't think just thinking about that makes me want to cry. Like, like if I puppy. was today, yeah. never see my son again. 
like I would I would probably die if I never could see my son again and never know what happened to him. I just have to go on and live a whole different life mm-hmm. without my child. And that was literally their and, life. They would get up in the morning and not know. So these are things we need to know and understand so we can be stronger and yeah. we can amplify and make sure that we're being effective in living out their legacy. Our legacy is truth. Our legacy is strength. Our legacy mm-hmm. is courage. Our, le- our legacy is joy. We, are, we have so much to offer the world, and I think there's been this false narrative of black folk are violent, black folk are brutes, black folk are no good, black folk are, you know, anything right. negative you can think of. Even Muhammad Ali said it. Why is it that everything black is something negative? Black ball, black male. Right. Like, you know, Jesus was white. The Santa Claus the was white. Cat. And right. Mary the had a little lamb. The lamb enough. was white. Exactly. Right. And that's something... We have to create the narrative and embrace the narrative and amplify the narrative because if we don't do it, then who will? And and that's literally what I think of whenever I'm doing what I'm doing. It's like if I don't do it, who will? Someone yeah. has to do it, so it might as well be me. I, I and I totally so what I on Michelle Obama's birthday I posted Time is beauty. And some guy responded, Time is beauty. Oh my God. She's not a woman. And I just reported it and blocked him. I didn't even have time for it. So I want to tell you, beautiful queen, that if you can become the president's wife, and somebody still going to have something bad to say, but you keep doing you. Um, I'm gonna, um, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, next. Our next uh, episode in two weeks. Our who published Harmony. It is a book for a financial education book for children. So we want to make sure that our four-week episode to educate, empower, and empower us. Uh, continues on, learn about your history, and then come back in two weeks and learn about money and teach your kids about uh, saving and investing. Is there anything you want to add to wrap it up, Etienne or Liz? I'll give Liz. Go ahead, Liz. You go first. Liz, I think I lost her. There you go. Okay. I think the biggest biggest thing I would encourage people to do is, yeah, I think the biggest thing I would encourage people to do is operate in your sphere of influence. Like I get this question all the time from people that want to get involved. They want to figure out whether it's those of us in the black community or those in the majority culture that they want to understand, well, where do I fit in? What can I do? How can I be effective? I want to help make change, but I don't really know where to start. And uh, what my co-host mm-hmm. on my podcast, he's, his, his, uh, one of the analogies he gives is like when we're thinking about changing education, it's like it's an elephant. You, you, you can't eat it all at the same time. You just have to start a bite at a time. Right. So I always one think of, bite at a time. Just operate in, your, operate in your sphere of influence. What can you do? If, if you're a stay-at-home mom, how can you be effective in teaching your children anti-racism? How can you te- show your children the importance of being an advocate for those that look different from them? If you're in the majority culture, if you're in our culture, just teaching your children a sense of pride and teaching them. And, and I think a lot of I'm us in the community already do. Or, Liz, we're about to log out in five seconds. So I'm sorry to you every way gets better. Peace and love. Thank you.
Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Nicole.